Welcome to the 5G Techvitory podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. Thank you. Thank you, Valdis. Uh, thanks for the introduction. And uh, yeah, the introduction was, uh, I had the feeling that we will solve this AI issue for everyone. Right now. Yeah, <laughs> then. Good luck. Uh, yeah, but actually, it's uh, it's it's uh, quite complicated, and I'm I cannot promise, and I don't think that any of panelists can uh, promise that we will solve anything. I uh, wanted to start with uh, with um, a short story. I was uh, listening yesterday uh, to the uh, radio broadcast about. Uh, how AI can help um, parents of young uh, kids to manage their everyday life. Uh, shout out to all the parents, uh, and uh, you know that it's quite challenging. And um, of course, um, the uh, the um, uh, host of the show asked um, people to express their attitude, and they uh, they sent emails, and she read those emails, and. Uh, um, basically, there are two sides of the story, right? Uh, one, uh, on the one side, there are people who, um, who really support all the development of the technology and they are really happy and, and, um, uh, and curious about it. And on the other side, uh, there is this, um, this um, supporters of uh, the horror movies that uh, robots will kill the humanity and uh, that's it. And guys, what are you doing? And uh, when they hear something like uh, your job will be replaced by AI, then they go totally crazy, right? Uh, but uh, I consider myself to be uh, one of the this first <laughs> group, and uh, but still I sometimes uh, lack a bit of uh, feeling and understanding where are we really with this AI at the moment, um, and. Um, I would say that this is uh, one of this is uh, one aim of the panel to find out where we are, uh, what the AI can and can't do yet, and also uh, what's the future like. So um, now I would like to give a word to the panelists. Uh, I have amazing crowd here, and uh, please, uh, could you introduce yourself, Viktor? Yeah. Can you start? Uh, then? I'm Viktor Skupcis. Uh, I'm based in Prague because of, there is a Google office in Prague. Still, we don't have Google office here, unfortunately. Yeah, we were working on it. Uh, yeah, but I'm Latvian. Uh, and my thinking about AI is very simple. As you mentioned, it will take all the jobs away. It's probably similar to what was said about steam engines. Yeah, the steam engines should take all our jobs away. Well, it didn't. And then, <laughs> you know, the story goes on. Uh, so, yeah, I'm responsible for data analytics, and this is where AI now plays a very substantial role. Uh, it's, it was there already for a long time. We probably just wider audience didn't notice it. It's not something we invented five years ago. The story goes like 20 years ago or even more. Uh, so it was always there. Just this year, it has a little bit more hype with it, so, and everyone now starts to discuss. So let's, let's discuss it. And let's find, let's find out. Thank you, Lucas. So I'm Lucas Silves. I'm the Estonian Gatis. So uh, <laughs> uh, I do the same thing in Estonia that Gatis does in Latvia. Uh, I hope that AI takes away all the jobs. 
No, just to talk about practical problems in Estonia, which I think are similar in many countries across the world. The average age of our frontline civil servants in our police and border guard agency, not the young guys on, and gals on patrol, but in the offices, you know, serving customer needs or in the sort of service points for, the, for various social agencies is in the, in the mid-50s. And we're going off a demographic cliff. We're going off a demographic cliff for our teachers. We're going off a demographic cliff for our doctors and our nurses. And we have tens of thousands of positions, skilled positions, that we will not be able to fill within 10 years' time. I hope that AI can replace and change the nature of a lot of that work. Mark Andreessen made, his, made the broad conceptual point that what AI is, it's, it's human-grade today. It's human-grade cognition available at a fraction of the marginal cost on demand at, you know, uh, from a tap in the way that electricity made human-grade physical strength available uh, at a tiny marginal cost on demand from a tap. And so, let's start off with the optimistic case. We need and will benefit massively from having much more human cognition in many, many domains. And then the flip side is, is uh, the terror stories. And the only the, the question I would ask pragmatically, and that we have to work through, and we shouldn't you know, belittle the question is, let's say these risks are real, what can and should we actually do about them? Um, any kind of tech, you know, ban on technological development will fail. So how do we actually prepare for those risks? And those risks are on a whole stack of different levels of you know, concern, starting from you know, monopoly risks. You know, Google and Microsoft make a global duopoly. And, and what's the nature of, of this service? Is it a kind of one that naturally lends itself to monopolization? Are there ways we ensure that it's competitive so that your, your monopoly rents aren't too big? Um, to the kind of existential the AI will kill us all. And then some scenarios in between there. So I think we do have to work through those scenarios, but we should ask ourselves very concretely, what are the specific steps we can do that would actually help us against some of these scenarios? And how realistic are they, you know, in terms of probability, cost, etc.? Gatis, you are Lucas in uh, Latvia. In, La in right? Latvia, yes, <laughs> yeah. I'm Lucas uh, in Latvia, and uh, we are uh, meeting regularly, so we are very. Uh, we, we, one of us should tell the audience what, what it is that we actually do. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, Gatis, and uh, in, in, in our responsibility in the ministry is also to take care, of course, not, not, not so much of the technological part of AI, but how this may impact uh, society, how, what are the, uh, you know, the, the, the the borders we have to put, or, or how we can, we can enable uh, the, the, the society, the humans, regarding the, the reskilling, upskilling, and technological development, and also regulation, also as well. But I think that uh, regarding development of, of AI, we can see it on, on different scales. So the one discussion is going on about on, on, on this uh, who will win or how to compete, like uh, regionally, China and the USA and Europe. And, and there, are, I, I think that we are happy to be here in Europe, that we are developing and paying attention to this value-based development of AI. And I think that these are the things we have to uh, keep pushing and, and put the emphasis on. So, uh, if we take uh, into account the, 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 pos the possibilities and the, the magnitude of, of, of AI uh, potential, uh, it's important to, to lay the foundations uh, the right uh, way. Uh, on the other hand, uh, I think this development of uh, recent years of the large la language models has made uh, AI accessible to personal uh, level. 
uh, until this is, was like more like with products and services and, 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 and corporations used it and, and, and in, in, the, in their products. But now we can, uh, each of us can use it uh, to increase our performance. And I think this is where we have to look. And of course it could change or it could maybe even um, uh, uh, discontinue some of the, of, 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 the, of the jobs. But more I think the impact be, would be not all on specific jobs but maybe on tasks that we are accomplishing and maybe our jobs will just be more meaningful through this transformation. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, well, that's a good point that uh, we can really get hands-on uh, and see how this technology is working. It's, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, also why I think this hype is on. So, Nick, uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, hi, uh, good afternoon everyone. My name is Nick Johnson. I'm the head of the UK Telecoms Innovation Network, which is a, a, a government-funded organization on a mission to connect up the UK innovation sector, that's to say academic universities, small businesses, large businesses, marketing organizations, and connect them up with the global context. So you know, there's, there's, a, there's a domestic UK selfish kind of self-interest element to our work, but there's also an international element to it, which is one of the reasons I'm here. Um, specifically in the context of UK TIN, um, we have two interests in AI. One is that we have a set of expert working groups looking to create the roadmap, if you like, for telecoms innovation over the next five to 10 years. Um, and of course, AI forms a central part of that, that roadmap. Um, and so, you know, how does that go into, how does that change the, the role of software within a network? So how, you know, is AI affecting the skills that are required to actually build and operate a telecoms network? Um, but also, uh, we have a role, I think everybody else in this room has a role uh, in dealing with the skills gap. And, you know, I think every organization in every technology, in every sector is suffering from this, this issue. So how do we... Um, how do we, in, in the narrow context of telecoms innovation in the UK, how do we uh, help uh, shift the emphasis um, back towards telecoms as a desirable career path uh, and get people, and you know, as, the, as was observed earlier, the workforce in telecoms in the UK is aging um, as fast, if not faster, than everywhere else. And, you know, average age of a telecoms engineer is also mid-50s and retiring as soon as they possibly can. If, if they, uh, um, so we've got a, we've got a, a big challenge on, on there. And I think it's... Um, I think that's probably, that's probably enough. I think, I think that definitely, in terms of is, it, is AI going to lead to catastrophe or... Um, uh, you know, is, is it a panacea? Um, it, it's somewhere in between. I think it's kind of a <laughs> fairly boring answer. Um, but it's, uh, it, there's, there's a lot to be concerned about. I think one, um, we, there's a World Economic Forum report from earlier, actually just a month ago, which essentially said the same thing. It said, you, know, you analyze the job market and what's the impact on AI? And the answer is, it depends. Um, and you know, there are some jobs which may be automated and sort of replaced. And there are some jobs which may be augmented um, by the introduction of AI. 
Uh, and as I think as was said earlier as well, this is happening generation, ever since the very first industrial revolution, people have been concerned about the introduction of new technology. Um, and what has actually happened is that you know, the, the, the skills required have changed. Um, some people have got left behind and that needs to be understood and dealt with. I think the subject of the previous panel, I think, was very, uh, very uh, relevant to that. You know, how do you, how do you deal from exclude your people? There's an intrinsic set of ex exclusions, you know, by virtue of, of physical capacity or mental capacity. Um, but there's also a contingent set of inclusions uh, by virtue of the fact that the technology is moving faster than people can keep up. And, you know, we have to treat them with equal emphasis, I think. They're both very serious. So, you know, le they lead to a kind of, uh, both end up in social exclusion, which we need to, need to deal with. But it's coming. There's no, there's no doubt that AI is here. And I think it's, the, I think you, you mentioned that it is the advent of the large language models that has made it, has made the difference. AI itself has been around for a long time but it's the large language models, mm -hmm. these things which, um, <clears throat> which kind of pass the Turing test, you know, is this, am I talking to a computer or to a human being? You know, it's, it's now sometimes difficult to tell. Oh. And that's new, actually, that is new. So mm -hmm. how do we fix that? Okay. Well, how do we deal with it, rather? Not to need fixing, it just needs, it needs mm -hmm. comprehending within our daily mm -hmm. lives. Okay, I would like to use uh, the opportunity that there are uh, representatives of the government side here. And uh, um, there are a lot of countries with digital strategies, even with AI strategies. Uh, Gatis, I would like to ask you, and afterwards also um, this, um, the same question to Lucas. Um, what is the role of AI in this um, digital, country digital strategy in Latvia? Actually, when we started to develop our uh, digital strategy current, we, we didn't make a specific uh, section on AI. We, uh, that was uh, among the discussions. We thought that uh, AI would be uh, kind of as, as, a, as a, a substance in every, in every sector we were dealing in, uh, in, in our strategy. Uh, we had a digital uh, AI strategy prepared some years ago, but now what we see, it's already outdated, really. So we we are uh, planning for the next year to to, to do something uh, in, in in this in this realm. So our uh, existing digital strategy, I think, it, it includes the 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 concept that we had at the moment. At the moment, we didn't have the LLM, so the rise of the LLM, so it's really uh, not in the strategy, but it's in the practice currently being uh, kind of used and, and applied. So we're looking forward for the update of the strategy. Of course, we need a strategical view of this, because we, uh, strategy is needed that we not only react, but we can proactively kind of work towards the, the, the different like consequences and also enablers. We hear from our uh, uh, research kind of uh, partners that uh, there is a need for more capacity on, on, on performance computing. There is, uh, we, we hear from uh, social sectors that uh, there is a need to plan for upskilling, reskilling, uh, and things like that. So we are looking forward this and to update the strategy in next year. Mm -hmm. Lucas, yeah, I mean, digital, I think we're in similar digital boat. Estonia. Um, <laughs> no, same, similarly, we, we put out an AI strategy in 2018-19, and, and now we're updating it. And, and really, I think we're going to have to be in very quick iterative cycles. And let's look at maybe let's talk about two elements. One is use of AI in government. Um, you know, government is a large organization. 
and the same challenges that big enterprises across the world have on, on adapting it, the same opportunities. We've, over the last three or four years, deployed about 120 use cases of machine learning, or AI if you want to call it, in a lot of different point solutions, everything from you know, detecting which roads need to be uh, cleared by plow first and routing the priority of the snow plows to benefit detection of fraud, conversational things, things like, um, like sign language interpretation for TV and so on. But now the question is, what's the layer we build on that? What's the more generalized, more generative layer we can build on top of that? Um, and I think if you ask me kind of what's the potential vision, which we're now working out the strategy, it's that we today are in the position where we can create a digital twin of every physical and legal person in Estonia and ask, how can we mobilize the resources of government and the public sector in order to help them achieve their outcomes? So let's look at your health records, your educational records, your, you know, where you live, et cetera, and say, and, you know, have, have an algorithm thinking along with you. How can we make Gottis's life healthier? How can we help Gottis be better educated? And then coming to you and recommending things. And, you know, we do proactive services anyways, but making that proactivity based on sort of what the algorithm's recommending, how it's thinking about your needs, and then at the same time trying to optimize that for society as a whole. So I think that's all cool stuff government can do. Uh, I think for us, and we'll do that, and, and I'm sure, we, you know, whether we're number one or number five in the world in doing that, I don't know. I'm sure we'll be fairly fast moving. Small countries can do that. I think the trickier thing is, is uh, society as a whole. Um, and the challenge for AI is the same as for digitization more broadly, which is large organizations kind of have the surplus that they can figure out these transformation plans. Small organizations, small companies don't. Um, and, you know, if we look at how AI as a continuation of digitization is poised to disrupt a lot of areas, I don't see, you know, I see that a lot of small companies today might be going out of business in the next five or ten years. And it's not just going to be the, the obvious ones, um, because part of what's now changed with LLMs is skills profile of who's affected has changed. Let's take something that's very critical to our export uh, and our economic growth, programming, and, 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 uh, and, you know, sort of your garden variety systems integrator tech company. Uh, a lot of what their profit margins come from, a lot of the skills they provide can now be automated. They may be, ha you know, they may be having their economic model disrupted. And this isn't going to be, you know, the sectors we're used to being in decline. These are going to be sectors that have been driving our economic growth that have a lot of internal disruption, and that internal disruption may include, you know, global redistribution of productive capacity and wealth. So I think we're thinking very hard about that. I think that what's important, and I really want to hear from Victor on, on what the actual skills profiles are, because I think one of the things we should be thinking about is not just the skills of individuals. You know, does this person as an employee, as a productive member of society have the skills, but the capabilities of teams and organizations? Um, because oftentimes you will have situations where the individual skills are okay. You know, if LLMs, if anything, they, they remove certain skills requirements, they make it easier for less skilled people to do very, you know, productive things. And the question is, can the organizations that we have, private and public sector, actually take advantage of that? Because what you could do and what the world's most dynamic and agile organizations are doing is light years ahead of what your average organization, public or private sector, is doing. And the, thing, the difference there is organizational change capacity and the ability of teams to actually deploy these technologies or regulatory barriers. So I think we need a different vocabulary to talk about skills 
than we've had for digital skills for the last five or ten years, where we go out and we measure, you know, how many people do you have with basic digital skills, how many people do you have who are IT graduates, testing them on certain skills. I don't think that gives us a full picture of who's ready for AI and who's not. Where actually you may have places that are fairly low-skilled, but because their organizational change capacity is high, they can move quickly. And conversely, I think we'll have organizations and countries with very high technical skills that basically are so stuck in their way of doing work that they don't leverage the skills they have very well. Victor, could you take this <clears throat> question? Yeah, interesting from? idea coming back to your story about uh, this uh, radio. Uh, I think the major change which is happening now is like 100 years ago it was important to possess some knowledge. So people who possess knowledge, they are in, in the top. Now, it's there was a transition period. Now we, instead of uh, possessing this knowledge, we know where to find the information. Yeah, so we are now at this stage. But the next stage will be, and it's coming, is how to ask the right question. So this is, this is what we should teach our children, how to ask the right question to get the information you need. You don't need to know anymore where the information is stored unless it's proprietary for some enterprise, if this is a public knowledge, you learn how to ask the right questions. And this will also be, be applicable when you work somewhere. Again, the same. I have a good example. Uh, the uh, company who builds aircrafts and, and do the aircraft maintenance. Imagine they have thousands and thousands and thousands of manuals. All, all are digital, yeah? so you can search for the information but it's not efficient. Now, when you know how to ask the right question, large language model will go through all these uh, manuals, thousands of pages, and give you answer, and it will give you explanation. Yeah. So, so this is a good example. We are not eliminating jobs, but we're making uh, people more efficient. That's, that's one thing. The other thing, which, again, there is a huge car company and they came up with the idea, okay, we are very good in producing cars, why don't we do insurance? Uh, which kind of is logical. But they didn't have this experience, so they created an insurance company, and their customer service is absolutely not able to handle it. Because they didn't expect, it was the right insurance product, but every product comes with the maintenance. You have to have customer service, so people were waiting for days to get answers, all the e emails were ignored. Yeah? So, and logically, this is where large language model could help. Yeah? Okay, you have less people with a, let's say, average skill set, but if they know how to ask the right question, they can immediately get answer and provide this answer uh, to the client. Or maybe some basic questions can be answered automatically by a large language model. And one more thing, which is important for you, there is no one AI. It's just a set of different size, different speciality, large language models, which basically is an algorithm. Yeah, so there is no existential threat. <laughs> yeah, it's just a question, how do you deploy it? And the key thing is, we call it AI, AI yeah, responsible AI. So two things here, it should not be biased. Uh, and, and this is it's, it's really difficult uh, because, you know, machine is not biased itself, but the answer might be biased 
because of the information it's trained on. So you have to make sure that the information you train the model on is not biased. Otherwise, you will get you know, biased uh, answers. So that's, that's, my, that's my basic, basic take. It's, we, will, we should learn how to ask the right questions, and it will, it will make our life easier, and it will make our jobs more efficient. That's my thinking. Mm -hmm. Nick, you want to judge something? I, I just wanted to, um, the, the, question, the, the idea of asking the right question, I think, is really important. And one of, one of the activities uh, within UK TIN is, is putting an AI, a large language model front end, to a set of research capability databases, you know, specifically to find, to allow people to find out what's going on in the UK. And the data to find that is in a set of databases that have completely different access languages and um, structures to the data. And okay, you, you, the, in some ways it's, a, it's a, a sort of unstructured data problem, but actually the, the point about the LLM is it does al allow you to ask a question in your own language and then the, the model being trained in all of these different databases and their access methodologies actually allows you to gather a synthesis of all of that data in a way that is easy to digest and it's kind of a it's a real shift in the way you know, in in the way search engines operate you know, i mean it's always hard to even with google it's hard to figure out what, what's the right what, what what's the question i need to ask to get the answer I want. Even mm. now, it's, it's, that's an issue. And I think large language models are, are definitely going to help mm -hmm. with that. And I wanted to just pick up yep. on this question about um, training your large language model with unbiased data, though. Isn't that a really, I mean, if you, most large language models are trained on like the whole of the internet. Right? So how are you going to deal with that? Well, if we talk about enterprise, uh, it will train a model on the enterprise data. Oh, okay. So there is no well, risk here. Uh, if we talk about yeah, public, uh, we still call it experiment. Okay. Yeah, so we are trying to get it better, and here is, we also can help it. We can help the large language model become better. Uh, it's not perfect, obviously, mm. yeah, but this is how we should, we should play with it, we should learn how it works, we should understand. It's the same like if you type, you know, five years ago you would type wrong search terms, you would get the wrong answer, that's normal. Yeah? So if we learn how to ask the right answer, and we can check where the information is coming from, then we are in a good position. Uh, we are trying to make it, but I'll give you an example, uh, YouTube. We invest a lot to make sure that information on YouTube is not is factual. Obviously, it's not possible to do 100%, but this, we, we invest a lot on this. So the same happens here. Okay, but uh, uh, Google is working on generative AI for yep. some time already. So what it is capable of doing at the moment? Well, uh, basic things. For example, if you create your, uh, your uh, presentation, you can generate some images. Uh, you can easily generate some context. Uh, for example, your marketing department could say, okay, I have this set of people and they are likely to buy some products so we can offer them products which they are really interested in 
and uh, describe it in an automated way. Uh, summarization is a big thing. Yeah? So for example, you don't need to read large article. You can ask uh, to summarize it, and large language model will do a summary. But you will know that this summary is, is correct because it's based on a particular data set. So again, coming back to what I said previously, it really depends on the data set which you have. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's what we can do. But can we talk about really the skill replacement? I wouldn't say replacement. I don't, I don't see replacement as, as we talk. Yeah, we can improve something, uh, but it's not about replacement. Mm -hmm. Lucas, you so wanted to two, add two, well, we, two points I want to maybe touch on what Victor's been talking about. First of all, he talked about access to data sets. Now, this becomes an interesting issue where there are significant returns to scale. You have a bigger healthcare system. You have more granular data. You can train a better healthcare AI. You have a larger customer base. You have more customer interactions. You can train a better AI on your data. You have more airplane repair manuals. You can actually get you know, more granular repair information. So, I, you know, and I'm curious, your engineers take on this. There, there, there are different takes on this, right? One, one take, and the question becomes, what, what are the choke points in terms of who can actually deploy a good AI? And one choke point is access to data, potentially. One potential choke point is access to compute. So, you know, who has the, the biggest computers and most GPUs? And the third potential choke point is quality of the algorithms and the engineering. And that maybe leads me to the point, you know, I was going to ask about digital skills, which is we've kind of been going around talking about broader population skills. But I'm just curious, in a Google context, what are the skills that you're paying, you know, people $20 million or $50 million a year for that are absolutely essential to actually be building these systems that sort of make the distinction, the, the make the make or break distinction? Because I think one of the things that we've heard a lot around around um, generative AI is that it creates this bifurcation in skills where sort of on the lower level, or not, not, not you know, for, for any given type of skill, on the lower end there's sort of an evening out and the lowest skilled people get raised up, but then at the very extreme end of quality with the sort of the highest skills for any given domain, there's a very high premium for the person or the people who actually can correct the AI and make sure the AI system is working the way it should be. So what, how does that change how we think about skills distributions in any given domain? And maybe in taking the specific example of the software engineering that's actually building the AIs. Well, it's, as it was mentioned before, the models itself were there for a long yeah. time. Yeah, so it, there is no substantial change right now. Uh, talking about the access, uh, we now, we all have access to cloud. We use it one way or another. For example, if you use iPhone, you use iCloud, or you use Google Cloud if you use Gmail. So access to the resources is now is there. Yeah, so if you are willing to access resources which you need for the time you need, it's there. Yeah, so there is no problem with that. It's not like it's limited. Talking about the knowledge, uh, every organization can have their own knowledge base and train their models on their particular knowledge. It will not be public and it will not be accessible for Google. Uh, so if you work for a large organization, this is your domain, and nobody can ha has access to it. So you train your model, and it's yours. All the data is yours. Uh, talking about uh, overall situation, I, I don't think 
we are in any better position than any other uh, organization. We probably have more experience, uh, but there are hundreds of startups using AI technology now. And I'm really saying hundreds. Not, not all of them will be successful, but that, that they have access to technology. And they can try, they can experiment, they can try to create new products using AI, and probably some of them will be successful. You know, mm -hmm. There is no limitation here. That's mm -hmm. what's important to understand. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I just wanted to share some uh, information. I, I read the Harvard Business uh, School made some uh, research on uh, how people are using ChatGPT uh, or generative AI outperform the people who are not using. And there were some examples that uh, users uh, outperform non-users by 25% on speed and 40% on quality. That's on uh, when you have like a kind of entry level kind of task of which uh, AI is capable of. But then they do the also the uh, uh, vice versa. Then uh, if they give a tasks which are outside the capability or cap capabilities of AI, then the quality dropped from 84 to uh, I don't know, 60 to 70%. So this means that AI have a good position for like an entry level and for assistance. But then when you got in a higher like uh, more, more sophisticated knowledge or skills, then um, it, it, it doesn't perform so well. So there, I think uh, one of the questions I might also put for Google or, or uh, also Yuktin is uh, uh, those entry-level roles, uh, how we like um, get uh, along with this, because, okay, AI can help for underperformers, but when you have like a young people going into the industry, like you start with entry-level. Now the entry-level will be sophisticated with a, a kind of AI tools, and now you have to like uh, have a higher or different kind of uh, qualities to, to get like entry-level uh, position. So I think this will uh, make some change in the way how, uh, how industry, industry works. And uh, from my uh, experience, I also had tried to use in different ways, and maybe it's a good news for me that uh, I'm not always very satisfied with the result of, uh, of, of AI which is produced for me. So it means that, okay, I'm still above the level <laughs> of AI. And, uh, or, you're not, or you don't know how to ask the right questions. <laughs> yeah, or, or I'm <laughs> underperforming on question setting, yes. Uh, for example, I don't know, I be very often, I, I, I open, I try to generate sometimes speeches with AI, <laughs> and they, they sound very blunt, they are very like plain, and, or they have very like the, uh, kind of uh, accelerated language that all is super and excited, and, and you, you know that people don't speak like that. And, and the, the one issue, I couldn't get uh, AI to put the facts into those speeches, even if I get the, uh, give, given the facts. This is one. And as a, I, I was very amazed by, um, by data analytics uh, using uh, AI. I, 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 I'm not like uh, programming in, in R or some other languages, but I, I was able to analyze the uh, Latvian open data portal kind of uh, open data sets, merge them only by using those prompts in, 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 uh, in uh, ChatGPT and using this data analytics uh, plugin. But what I was always afraid of is he um, hallucinating or not hallucinating with the nice data sets they are or, or, or the charts he is giving me. Because charts are very kind of, uh, uh, yeah, when you look on the chart, they are very kind of, uh, kind of, uh, parlets, you know, she's like, uh, 
convincing. convincing yeah, yes. Convincing. And then you have to be still very, very, very cautious about what you are looking at and is it this is real. So you have to have some uh, capability to analyze critically the information or the charts that are provided to you. Mm. Just a thought on the speeches. Right now you're working with ChatGPT or BARD's general data. Wait till you're running it on your internal systems. It can see all your emails, it can see all your internal documents, it can see all the historical speeches that you've written. And then you say, write a good speech for the minister about this policy initiative, commenting on some of the implementation difficulties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Probably so he will write something, but still, if you want a soul in this, you still have to put something from you. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I don't and new think knowledge. I don't think we will have time for uh, questions from audience because I have one more question uh, to Nick because, big, yeah, sorry, because uh, he's uh, he's very close to the industry and um, I wanted to ask um, if we talk about companies, there are uh, like with with thousands of employees, millions of customers, mm. how willing they are really to rely on AI? Well, not yet. I think is the answer. Um, we, we in, in terms of network management, network operations, there are isolated cases where AI is being tried out on particular cell sites or particular problem escalations and so on. And it has worked successfully, but no one yet has um, braced themselves to let AI manage the whole network for them. And I think that's still some, my understanding is, my information from my, our ecosystem is that's still some way away. Um, I mean, telecoms is an intrinsically conservative industry, so you wouldn't expect them to be at the leading edge of this kind of work, but it's still some, some way away. But, you know, there are isolated cases where AI is making a difference and actually making it, you know, internally. Uh, for, you know, obviously, in, in terms of network operational cost, power consumption is a major issue. So making decisions about how to reconfigure networks according to traffic there have, there have been some success stories there to say, well, okay, you know, in low traffic times, I can turn this cell off and this cell off um, and you know, reconfigure the other cells to fill in the gaps for it, you know, to give a, a low capacity network in, in the quiet hour um, and then turn them all back on again in the busy hour. And when do I do that and, and how do I scale up the capacity you know, to optimize the power consumption? Those sort of questions are you know, live and in, you know, being, being trialled now. But what, uh, what should happen that they could change their attitude? Well, I think experience. I think, it, if I'm understanding your question correctly, I think people just need confidence. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. again, in a conservative industry like telecoms, you, you've got, you, as you say, millions of, hundreds of millions of subscribers in many cases, uh, and you can't, you can't make a decision that affects a significant number of them without testing it to, mm. you know, to the extremes. And, and I mean, which, which raises another aspect of AI, which is the one that was mentioned earlier about actually building a digital twin for your network and actually testing out your, it's a little bit like the snake eating its tail, but you know, having AI test AI, that, that brings its own sort of conceptual danger, mm -hmm. doesn't it? You, you, you're, you're, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some uh, testing to be done there. But that's the sort of thing that's going on. You build a digital twin of your network and then let an independent model, obviously important, um, mm -hmm. operate it and see what happens. And that's, that's the sort of thing that's going on now. But uh, running mm -hmm. a live network is some way to go yet, I think. Yeah. Okay, I think we are ready for at least one question from the audience. 
Yes, uh, I have just a very short comment on, uh, on the poll results. Uh, there is one third in our viewers, not only in the room, but also on the platform, which are uh, universal basic income fans. Yeah, every third would love to have something if AI is doing the job, but mostly they were waiting the answer from you. <laughs> okay. So do you have an answer? Do you have any comment? Because the, the question was, do you believe that implementing AI-driven workforce training and upskilling programs should be accompanied by universal ba basic income to support individuals uh, during the transition? So the lazy ones. <laughs> Maybe, I, I don't know if the case of the lazy ones, but I think the, the change from the other industrial revolutions, or how we call it, is that the pace of uh, how this revolution is going on, and that uh, within the one uh, generation, we have like a kind of substantial transformation, and not all people are adjusted to this new reality that we have to like uh, have a, like, this lifelong uh, learning. I think the, the new generation will have like this naturally that they are born, that they are like uh, all, all the time that uh, upskilling and reskilling. So probably for the, some transformation period, some people would need to have this uh, opportunity to have some support of uh, in case they work are <coughs> suffering this technological kind of uh, transformation. So the middle generation. And all the ones. Not all, not all, course, but 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 in some cases, I think we we should take into account. Yeah. All right. Anything else? It seems an extreme way of solving the problem. If you're looking to if you're looking to retrain people and upskill them, then re subsidize the training, right? Don't, you, it seems a blunt instrument to, to apply. You, you I know, mean, you this know, is a non-politician's answer, right? You know so, why it's blunt? <clears throat> this question was created by AI. <laughs> I so. fell into that one, didn't I? Yes. Yeah. And we did. <laughs> so, anything else to add by the moderator? Now, we were discussing this before that uh, we, um, uh, we have to involve AI in some oh, yeah. form. And, uh, we did it. And it's, yeah, and it seems we did it. And here's the result. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> thank very you. Blunt and bold. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much, and thank you to the thank moderator. You. Thank you. Thank you.